Hey everyone, welcome to That Triathlon Life Podcast. I'm Eric Lockstrom. I'm Paula Finley. I'm Nick Goldston. And today, as we were sitting having a coffee, a new security guard at our favorite coffee shop came up and told us that we are not allowed to lean our bikes up outside of the coffee shop. Oh, come on. That's devastating. I don't know. I'm going to have to find a new coffee shop. Why is there a security guard at a coffee shop in the first well, place? This is Here's the problem, man, because if we lean our bikes up against the wall, the young, impressionable minds of the uh, high schoolers nearby are going to see our bikes leaning up, think that they can lean their bikes up anywhere they want, and before you know it, you got a bicycle mm. junkyard at the coffee shop. The youths. <laughs> mayhem. It's the youths. In Bend, Oregon. Absolute mayhem. Wow. Um, but really, this is our podcast. Uh, Paul and I are both professional triathletes. Nick is our great friend, amateur triathlete, professional musician, recording artist, Guy, sure, he sure, makes sure. the podcast. He makes the podcast sound tasty, and uh, we're gonna take some questions, talk about what's going on in triathlon, and uh, yeah. of which there's nothing. Have a good time. Yeah, nothing. Nothing interesting happened anymore. We are, we raced last weekend, so the official the season's over. Nobody cares anymore. But let me take advantage of this lull and say that tomorrow I was invited to Spotify Studios, and Trixie and I are going into their recording studio and recording two songs, an original and a cover. Uh, what? Very, yeah, very going to be very cool. They have never a ton of super expensive gear. I do a lot of stuff. I don't tell you. Okay. Can you can you add in the like the fake applause from like game shows? You know, of course, of course and I can. Oh. Yes. Yeah, done. Well, that's really Consider impressive. You. That's exciting. Thank you. Congrats. It's going to be very fun. I'm I'm going to feel a little bit. Uh, you know, there's always a little bit of imposter syndrome in situations like that, but I'm going to try to stave it off and just enjoy the moment. Well, yeah. I mean, you only have one Grammy, so. Who are I'm you trying even? to win the second one with Trixie, to be honest. That's what the goal would be. That's the team up the world needs. Does Trixie have a Grammy? No, we're, we're going to try to get one together. That's it. That's the plan. <laughs> anyway, more importantly, we have a lot of questions. We have we even have a bike tech with Eric today. So I think we can, for once in our lives, keep the jibber-jabber at the beginning to a minimum and move right into it. Get to the good stuff. Oh, except for okay. the bottle winner. Well, Ooh. we'll do the bottle winner before the questions. But oh, okay. stay tuned. Everybody, stay tuned. everybody, yeah, everybody listening who is a podcast <laughs> supporter, don't turn on, don't go away now because you could be could winning. Be, it could be you. It could be you. Um, okay, so let's do some bike tech with Eric. Bike tech with Eric. Okay, here we go. This is from Vincent. Hi, Eric, Paula, Nick, and the fastest doggo in the world. I've got a bike tech with Eric question. I have a direct drive trainer, Sweeto from Elite, and I can't get the hang of the rear derailleur. When I switch my bike from my wheel to the trainer, I have to redo the microshift adjustment a lot. I tried to put spacers, and it seems to be closer, less microshift to do, but now the high and low limits are off. Do you have any pointers to make it easier? Note, I have the same tooth ratio on both my bike and trainer, but from different brands. The issue prevents me from using the trainer in the summer and ride in the comfort of my home on rainy days. Uh, With love from Montreal, Quebec, Vincent. So basically... Vincent is just saying that when they're quickly trying to get the bike on and off is when it's a problem. Because obviously when you put it in for the winter, you can adjust it for that and then it stays on there all winter. So what do you think, Eric? I mean, I, I got a lot of follow-up questions here because we're saying they're from two different brands. So are we talking like the trainer has got a Shimano cassette on it and your derailleur is a SRAM cassette? Well, that's just not going to work. That's going to be a smoking gun there. Yeah, that's not going to so work. Something but... she, that's something that he could check. So, so yeah. let's assume... That that they're both Shimano or they're both SRAM and they're both eleven speed and they're both ten thirty three. What if they're not? What if one's a twelve speed and one's eleven, or one's an eleven and one's a ten? Yeah, that's not going to work because 
like your ultimately your high and lows are going to be pretty similar, but the spacing between gears is going to be totally off. So it's just not going to shift properly. But this sounds more just like the set is slightly offset one way or the other a little bit, which is an issue that you have can have with like different wheel sets. It's it's hard to know without having a little bit more information, but that is definitely a thing that can happen. Um, with, like I said, with different wheels, and I guess it could happen with different trainers. There's just like one or two millimeters difference in spacing, and that is that is really annoying. I will say that we talked about this before the podcast started, and Paula, Nick, and I, we all have Wahoo trainers, and we don't have this issue. So I don't know if this is an elite issue, if this is the specific cassette issue. It's hard to know. Get a new setup. Just get a new setup. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I this this reminds me a little bit of when I just converted Paula's SRAM Freehub driver to a Shimano one from for my TT bike, and when I had put a spacer on the wrong side and was having a very similar issue, where yeah, it would kind of shift correctly, but the highs and lows were off. Um, and yeah. so and then I took it to the shop, and he told me that the spacer was on the wrong side, and then it worked perfectly right after that. Do you think it could be something like that? Um, yeah, it could be something like that. Like the Wahoos, for example, have a two-way spacer on the non-drive side. So you can flip it one direction for a certain length of through axle and the other direction for the different length of through axle. Um, and I guess there's a possibility you could have like an extra spacer between like the cassette and your frame on one side. So I guess just like start pulling stuff apart without a bunch of tools and confirm, you know, like if you can look up a manual online that it is in fact assembled properly and it hasn't kind of gotten out of whack through different cassette changes and and whatnot. This you know this reminds me a little bit. I was on a bike ride the other day with my friend and I kind of had this moment and Eric I was I meant to talk to you about it. I had a business idea. Uh, and the idea was to make a cassette for specifically for trainers that has only one gear and that, that exists. It, I it, they just came out with it like today, right? <laughs> Zwift, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we just talked to Zwift so, about this the other day. So, I know. So this was my idea. It was like just <laughs> one gear, and it's not light at all, which who cares because it's on the trainer. It's just super durable. So you can just ride in that same gear all winter, and obviously Zwift figures out up and down for you. And then I open yeah. up YouTube this morning, and there's DC Rainmaker showing me my idea. And I'm like, damn it! They did just it. one year too late. Wow, dude. you invented it, Nick, in your head. About before. Yeah, I told I told Darcy about it on a ride. I was like, "Wouldn't that be good?" Like, because I was just thinking how people sometimes ride the same cog so much that it wears just that cog down. I'm like, "Well, then yeah. just make make a cheap thing that's just one cog anyway." Yeah. Well, so this and is the positive. This is the positive of not riding erg mode on Zwift. If you actually right. just ride real world feel or whatever, then you're shifting a whole bunch on your own. And this was my main thing when we were talking to Zwift about this. Of like, is it? Is what's it gonna feel like? Because they send you little shifters to go on your handlebars, little buttons that will like pretend shift for you. And mm. I was like, I'm super curious to get this and feel like, does it have this little like kachunk, like lag to it? Because the guy that we were talking to at Zwift, actually, I genuinely believe him. He's like, it's really good. It feels, it actually feels legitimately good. So yeah, he uses it. So uh, we're gonna have to get one of these units. We'll do a little video. We'll do a little follow up on the podcast. But it's but pretty cool. Right now, I think it's only compatible with the Zwift uh, trainer. Oh, right. But they're trying to make it so that it can go on other trainers. It'd be like a removable thing, and you can put it on a Wahoo or whatever it is. Right. But I love the idea because when you're riding a trainer with just a regular cassette, there's like crossover and like noise that you don't like. and It should be quieter. Yeah, this will be quieter. And theoretically, like it's all game 
computerized anyway. So shifting up, shifting up, shifting down, shifting down, it just happens virtually. And the thing eases up or gets more attention, but there's no actual physical shift happening. So this would solve this person's problem. Yeah, totally solve their problem. That's true. That would solve your problem. I guess my idea doesn't work for several reasons, because if you accidentally did shift out of muscle memory, which I'm sure would happen, you would shift into nothingness. Right, like uh, on on with my idea, where I just have one cog in the middle of a just plastic. Unplug your D- unplug your di two. Yeah, cable wire, so you can't. Yeah, just so it doesn't. Work. Oh yeah, you'd have to not shift at all. Yeah, right. we just but, take out our SRAM battery. But their thing that they've come up with, you still actively shift as if you're riding. There's a button. There's crazy. The, they send you a button. It yeah, comes they with send a button. Shifter. Right. With a ga- <laughs> yeah, the Swift button. So I, I meant it. to talk about this on the pod this week because I thought it was oh, so perfect. cool. So. That's so funny. This is yeah. a great uh, leeway, but we don't have a solution for this guy except for just get a Zwift trainer with a uni. What do they yeah. call it? Is there a name? Hub One. Hub One. Wow. That's cool. How expensive is it? It is 600 Okay. That's a- 600 bucks, but it includes a one year Zwift membership. Well, I have to say, I think if you're buying one of these, you have Zwift. Yeah. How much is a one year's WIF membership? That's like fifteen bucks a month. So like one hundred and seventy bucks, something like that. Yeah, that's not a bad deal. That's no, a, not a good deal. deal. I bet you oh. could sell your elite trainer for that yeah. much. You're welcome, Vincent. All right. <laughs> Next customer. Um, <laughs> yes, but Eric, do you think there's a world where Vincent may have done something wrong, and actually there's a there, it, it could work perfectly with with things set correctly? That that's my hope. Is yeah. that like the, the different? If you know, if you've got a SRAM derailleur and you're trying to use it with a Shimano cassette, and just something like obvious like that, or there's just like a spacer like you had, you know, on your disc where your wheel was obviously off to one side, without being right. able to see pictures and you know and right. everything, it's hard to say. Right. Okay. I must say that if I had an issue like this that was preventing me from seamlessly transitioning, it would be so annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Like we do this. Daily, take our bikes off and on the trainer. Yeah. And if it wasn't like a three second ordeal, it would be, I would do whatever it took in the world to get it fixed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Uh, well, let us know, Vincent. Uh, okay, we'll move on to questions now. And what about week, the bottle winner? Paula, I'm, I'm about to say it. <laughs> Paula wants him to announce the bottle winner so badly. <laughs> oh, I got to go to the post office, so I got to yeah, make sure this happens. That's right. Okay. okay. Well, okay. So for those who don't know, if you're new to the podcast, you can become a podcast supporter. <laughs> and for either $5 or $10 a month, you help the podcast. As of now, we still don't do ad reads, and we rely solely on podcast supporters as well as anyone who purchases any gear from the website. This week... As we do most weeks, we picked a random podcast supporter from our list. We put it into a random number generator, and we give them... Uh, actually, we're going to up it to two bottles this week, maybe going forward. An Eric Lagerstrom bottle and a Paula Finley bottle. And this week, we chose Ryan Tade. Congratulations, Ryan Tade. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, Let's just say Ryan Tade is a good supporter of TTL. Looks like yes. he supports the podcast and... So thank you, Ryan. We really appreciate it. And if uh, it appears you live in Oregon, if you're willing to drive to our house, we will give you 12 bottles. As many bottles wow. as you can hold in your hand wow. you wow. can take with you. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You guys are tanking the, the perceived value of these bottles now. No, they're very high value. Trust me. But we just did an attic clean out and we have hundreds of bottles. Uh, yeah. Well, 
a couple, and I a couple use, hundred. The thing is, like, <laughs> I do actually go through quite a few in a year because, like, I'll throw them in the junk zone during a race and then replace it with a new one. Or if it gets moldy, I'll replace it. But the amount we have is more than we can personally use. Yeah. The minimum run of specialized bottles is like 200, even if you're Paula or Eric. You know, we, we want like 50, but 200 is just how many you get. So, yeah. If you want, it's custom limited edition thing. All you got to do is support the podcast and uh, you may win. That's right. We had a lot of podcast supporters when we first announced the podcast thing, but it has slowed down a bit. So if you're on the fence, it helps us a lot. We really appreciate it. And this week we sent out a special video where we're going to do this thing maybe once a month where we te- we do one extra question that will either come from me. This week it came from me, but maybe it'll come from any- someone sending in emails. And we have a special link, a private link just for podcast supporters and they get extra podcast content with a question. So you would be uh, you would be getting that as well. You can do that at thattriathlonlife.com slash podcast. That's where you can submit questions as well as become a podcast supporter. So thank you so much to the podcast supporters that are already supporters and to anyone who is doing it new. Yeah, and to I think to get all the emails, you'd have to like put your email address in and make sure you click like accept email. Yeah. And we're not going to spam you. We're just going to send you the bonus stuff. Sweet shit. Yeah, trust yes. me, we don't have time to spam you. <laughs> we are yeah. not sending out extra newsletters. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, okay, first couple questions here are from last week since we didn't really get to many since our race recaps took like 55 minutes. But this first one is from Sophie. Hi, TTL. My partner and I moved to Santa Monica a year ago from Toronto and just started competing in triathlons. Initially, we stuck to the local areas for rides, but as we gained confidence, we started joining group rides out in the Malibu Canyons and venturing on the PCH. How have we not crossed paths already, Sophie? Um, Also, little PSA, it's strangely, it's just PCH, not the PCH. In California, it's the 10, the 405, the 101, except for when you're talking about PCH, it's just PCH, not the PCH. I don't know why. It's such a dumb thing. But if you want to be cool and feel like you're in on it, you just say PCH. So there you go. If you really want to bug the shit out of Nick, ask him if he wants to go right on the PCH and then go to the Sierras afterwards. The Sierras, yes. It's also Sierra. Plural is just Sierra. So there you go. Um, In group rides with with at least four people, we often take the right-hand lane on PCH since the shoulder can be sketchy in some areas from Santa Monica to Malibu. That is totally true. That's very accurate. Which leads to my question. When there's only one or two of us, is it okay to take the lane? I often try to stick to the shoulder whenever available, and when we weave into the lane, if the shoulder is non-existent, it feels dangerous with rocks and cliff erosion in the shoulder. But my partner thinks it should be safer to just take the lane the whole time so we aren't moving in and out. So this is such a good question. I dealt with this exact situation this weekend. Uh... I'm really curious. What what do you guys think? Is there a minimum amount of people that you would take the lane with? Yeah, More than first, two. first of all, uh, today when we were driving, some guy like 500 meters before the roundabout, quote unquote, took the lane, like just moved out from the huge ass bike In lane, bend, big ass bike lane. Yeah, to the middle of the lane and took the lane. And then Eric said something about like he hates the term "take the lane." It just sounds like such a Sounds like a, I don't know. People hate cyclists when they do that, and we're trying to be liked, right? You know, yeah. To to me, it was just like I am a cyclist, and this guy swerves out in the middle of the lane, taking the lane because it's safer, like whatever he thinks, and is going ten miles an hour right. for five hundred meters. 
before we get to the roundabout. And it's like, it's not I, safer I, in I, that I case. I don't think that's safer. That is just going to make somebody behind you quite angry yeah. and impact the next cyclist that they come across their interaction. That's my takeaway. Also, you said there's a bike lane there. Yeah, it's just, I think everybody has different, uh, you know, tolerance thresholds for what yeah. safety is and how, what sketchy is and et cetera. But I think two people, in my opinion, if Paul and I were riding on PCH and there's just the two of us, we're going to do the best we can to stay out of the way of traffic yeah. as far to the right as we can. But, you know, if you see a big rock, look over, move into the lane. But I'm, I'm trying to be courteous to the, to the motorists who have a place to go as well, as well. Yep. Yeah. That's my feeling exactly. Two people feels like I feel more in danger taking a lane with two people than I do riding the shoulder. And you're yeah. also annoying to, yeah. to drivers. Yeah. And like Eric said, we're all trying to be like have a good relationship with drivers. So not pissing them off unnecessarily so that they're more aggressive with the next cyclist, right? You yes. could be that next cyclist. Exactly. So I agree with that. But so on PCH specifically, there's a few sections where even when you're with a group, there are some climbs that you're, even if you're going very fast, you're going 12 miles an hour, that those climbs are places where there is room on the shoulder. Like that's where I would, even with a group, a quite a big group, you get off to the side, there's room for plenty of people. Climb there. When you're back up going 25 miles an hour, you can, you can whatever you want to call it, take the lane again. That's kind of my practice on PCH. And it's always a little scary, but that's why you, you, ride it in the morning. And they said here that actually they ride from like seven to 9 a.m. on Saturdays, which is exactly when I'm riding uh, that portion of the road. Yeah. It's just- Weekends it, are it, better. It can be it can be a little scary, but two people, yeah. you, there's plenty of room to ride uh, single file. There's only a very few sections where even if you're riding single file, you have to get a little bit into the road. And, and that's where you don't want to be swerving in and out, right? You want to be predictable and like have a very steady line you yeah. don't want to be swerving out behind parked cars last second. That's not great. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And I think like when you take a lane, if you're in a small group or just by yourself, you're assuming the people behind you are seeing you slowing down. But that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot of distracted driving and you're, yeah, I don't know. I would always feel better in a bike lane no matter what. Yeah, but, agreed. Yeah. Also, Good Sophie, question, hit me up. I ride with a group that same time and day and route. So <laughs> I think I would prefer share the lane. Ah, oh, that's a good Take way. just feels like this macho, like, I'm taking this shit. Right. You know? And I'm and I, when I'm like on my bike, I'm trying to like share be, I'm like, the lane. Hey, I'm just here, you're here, we're all trying to get a place. Like I'm I'm trying not to get in your way, but please don't kill me. Like you know that that's I'm trying to be as as nice and courteous and wave to as many motorists as I can. So that, I guess that's why the take is just like kind of this. I'm not trying to take anything from anybody. <laughs> I think there needs to be something middle because share the lane sounds like oh I'm on the right side of the lane and you're gonna cautiously ride past me, which is not the intention when you are. No, I'm just gonna in use I'm just gonna use it lane. for a minute and then as soon as I got the opportunity, I'm gonna get out of it. I don't believe like this is the place that I live for the rest of my right. life. You know that right right. And this this is completely semantics, and I I'm just defending myself for being like take sounds aggressive right right <laughs> it does sound aggressive you're right there's a bit of a, a boisterous ownership in there yeah, that is exactly. maybe undue all right that's it uh next question is from jack from boston ordered my new cervello p series with sram rival group set been waiting two months for it i've been looking into different accessories for tri bikes and noticed that 
On more of the top-end bikes, the aero bars sit higher above the base bar versus the lower-end ones. Is it worth getting a stack-slash-riser kit for my aero bars to get more aero, or does it not matter? If any of that makes any sense. Uh, have you noticed this? So we're, we're saying that high-end bikes tend to have higher elbow pads than lower-end bikes? I think he means more space between the base bar and the pad. Yeah, it's it's obviously more common with taller riders. You'll have like a base bar and then more spacers in the pad and the cups. But it's more aero to have some space there versus your cups slammed against the base bar. So 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 basically the reason for this is because a lower end tri bike is going to have a traditional steer tube, totally round steer tube with a traditional stem that attaches oh, that round steer tube. Right. Mm. And the way you're gonna get height out of this is by lifting the whole thing up and putting spacers underneath the stem just I like see. you would on a road bike versus on a high-end tri bike it's a fully integrated bayonet style fork and the way that you get elevation out of that underneath your elbows is by using aerodynamic spacers underneath each elbow cup hmm. interesting that's what's going on see i misunderstood i'm like this is kind of the opposite. Like I think higher end bikes are assuming that the rider is going to be lower in the front, but it's the relationship between the base bar and the cups that's changing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Right. So there, there Not are the systems position. out there where you can mimic the same thing and keep the amount of uh, headset spacers to a minimum and then put, I'm not sure if profile design, I'm not sure who makes them, but there are systems out there that can just raise your elbow pads up that are, you know, on a lower end quote unquote tri bike as well. If that's, what, if that's the look you're going for. It is a cooler look, I and must it, say. It is, de- it is technically going to be more aerodynamic because those aerodynamic elbow pad spacers are much more aerodynamic than a completely round headset spacer. Yeah. Headset spacer, yeah. But also, I switched from a small shiv this year to an extra small shiv to get more space between the base bar and the pads. Yes. Because that's more aerodynamic. Yeah. Slightly. Theoretically. Like... Splitting hairs, but well, yeah. splitting hairs when you are trying to win professional races, every hair matters, right? Yeah, yeah, we're stacking up hairs. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. The extra small fits me well, but I wouldn't like peg myself as someone who should ride an extra small frame, but it works. Yeah, yeah, and it's also different from bike to bike, right? Like Eric's riding totally. the small there, and maybe he'd ride a medium in a different brand. Potentially, Depends. I could totally ride the extra small. Uh, that that Paul is riding as well. I would just have more elbow spacers, spacers yeah. and a little bit more stretched out. But it's not like that's you the know, thing. There's so much play difference. and like uh, flexibility in the in the whole um, aero bar system. Yeah. That the actual size of the frame is less. You know, it doesn't matter as much. It's not as consequential as a road bike. Yeah, r- yeah. really. The main the limiter would be like in Paula's situation. Yeah, she couldn't get any lower. Should she have wanted to in yeah. the event of doing a UCI race? So she was just kind of like limited versus now in the extra small, she can come up a little bit, she can go down a little bit. I have know, more room to go down more. We can yeah. play around with it in the wind tunnel. Yeah, that's really interesting. She could not go any lower on the small. Well, I was like slammed against the base bar. Yeah, I'm just surprised to hear that because when I think of uh, that bike is not designed for triathlon. That bike is designed for road roadies doing TTs, and mm-hmm. those are the people that I think of having these uncomfortable but extremely optimized aerodynamic positions that they only need to hold for, you know, at most an hour or something like that. So it's surprising to me that you as a triathlete were already maximizing that potential for being as low as possible. Well, I'm pretty low. Remco yeah. rides an extra well, small. Oh well, yeah, she's she's short. Like there are guys who are like six one riding a size small in the tour because their torsos are super short. Oh really? And they're not long enough, but then they've got 
28 inches of seat posts and like 12 inches of right, right. elbow, you know, <laughs> pad risers, arm set, arm cup spacers, whatever. Right. Well, that's really cool. Um, well, there you go, Jack. So that, that, I hope that answers your question. Next one here is from Ryan in Arizona. I recently went on a long trail run with a friend and wanted to take photos of him training, but I quickly found out that I had a lot of unknowns to solve for in the process. Should I take my best camera? Do I run with it in hand? What bag should I store it in or strap should I use when I'm not taking photos but still running? And then I want to take my camera, upgraded to a Fuji X-T5 recently, on a mountain bike ride, but of course that seems risky as well. I'm just wondering what y'all do when you get still images as you train while also protecting your equipment. Thanks a ton, Ryan in Arizona. Now this is so apropos because Eric and I have been planning our next year of films and photos and chatting about cameras quite a bit. So I feel like we're ready to answer this question. Man, we, we could do a whole podcast on this issue because this is like the issue that I deal with daily. I'm like, where is the great balance between something that has the image quality and like the functionality that I want and something that fits in the jersey pocket and that I'm not terrified if I fall off my bike and land on it? That's the problem. And and when question. we're making films, we're also having the same thought process of, okay, it's like you need you need the the main big cinema camera, and then you have the opposite, which is the tiny little action camera. Crash but then cam. there's steps in between, like little things. It's like, okay, this is a bike ride. Like, Eric, you have these a little point and shoot that you can bring with you on bike rides. It's not as big as your Sony mirrorless camera, but it's much more capable than the stills you'd get from uh, an iPhone or a GoPro or something yep. like that. So uh, for when I mountain bike ride, because <clears throat> of like, you know, it, the X-T4 is a mirrorless camera. It's kind of big. It's got a detachable lens and everything. Uh, that, like when I ride with my camera that's like that, my Sony, I, I wear a, just a normal camo strap and I like kind of s- just sling it across my back and hope that like my pump kind of keeps it from sliding around. On a mountain bike, that's not going to stay put. So for that situation, I do use a point and shoot. Got a point and shoot in one pocket, iPhone in the middle pocket, and then like the left pocket, I'll have the GoPro with a mount that I can put in my mouth and get that like POV shot. If this, if if in this situation, I'm actually trying to film and take pictures on the same ride, right? And I, it sounds like Ryan is only doing photos, but I'll say for me, if when I'm doing a on a trail run, I love to do these little trail run videos, or even on a mountain bike. For me, the action camera is the best for that. Yes, an mm-hmm. iPhone will give you very similar, if not better, image quality a lot of the time, especially now with the action mode. But it's the form factor and not having a touchscreen, just being able to press a button on the GoPro or the DJ Action Cam, and it immediately turns on and starts recording. You don't mm-hmm. have to mess around with it. You don't have to press a button. If you're sweaty, if you have gloves on, you don't have to worry about that. It just works, and it's much more rugged than an iPhone. I really yeah. like that. And and it costs way less than an iPhone if you damage yeah. it. And the uh, the iPhones take amazing pictures now, by the way. But if you were, did want to go the point and shoot route, I would look at like the RX one hundred series from Sony. Those have like a decent zoom on them, so you have like kind of some composition options. But they, I can carry one in my hand for an hour and a half run and feel totally fine. Put it in like a hydration pack pocket. Put it in a jersey pocket on the bike, no problem. And do you do a bar bag ever? Do you, so I actually had an RX100 like Mark V or something that I broke because it was in my camera and in my handbar bag and bounced around enough that it turned the camera on and tried to extend the lens while it was what? inside of the camera bag. Oh, he never told me about this. Broke the camera. Well, luckily I got this camera. It was I traded it for some video work back in the day. So it was 
less tragic, but that's uh, wild. This was this was years ago. This was in Patagonia, Arizona, back in the COVID days. Oh, it was back when uh, I didn't care this much about your yeah, and stuff. I, and you didn't know right. how much cameras cost. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you got your stuff, I got my stuff, whatever. Yeah. Now we're like, we're sharing money. You better tell me. That's a business expense. (laughs) How much did the business pay for that toy thing? There's that that old joke that's a cyclist's worst nightmare is that when they die, their partner sells all the bikes for what he told them they were worth. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh yeah, babe, I just got this. It was just a 250 bucks. And that's works. Exactly. Um, Okay, well, there you go, Ryan. We could talk uh, way more about that, but... Um, but uh, we won't. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Nick and, maybe Nick, Nick and I might do a deep dive on camera stuff like for podcast supporters, you know, just try that on for size one of these days or for YouTube, we'll see. Yeah, we, we've talked about that a bit. If enough people bug us about it, we'll do We're it. We're trying to figure out a way, the best possible way for us to just like sit down and talk about maybe just like how to edit a photo for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour. Maybe we'll do an extra podcast, uh, you know, not replace a Thursday podcast, but next run, or maybe a YouTube video. We'll see. We're looking into it. We'll see. Next question here is from Thaddeus. Good morning, Eric, Paula, and Nick. I have a question about pre-race nutrition. What are you doing or eating in the 24 hours or so leading into a race? Do you each have a go-to meal before a race? What sort of things are off limits? Do you meal prep and bring it with you, or do you try to find something local and hope it doesn't upset the gut? How many hours before the race do you eat and what final breakfast meal are you doing before going into battle? That's a lot of questions, but let's see if we can kind of handle some of them. Yeah, I am. So it's like 14 questions. I think that I don't um, appreciate enough how much of a gut of steel I have. I've never in my life had food poisoning. Maybe that's just a bit of luck too. Okay, that's luck. Yeah. But I mean... I can eat whatever and I feel okay. And I'm a little bit careful. Like we'll pick the night before we'll have Chipotle or we'll have chicken and pasta and red sauce or, you know, something easy. But that's not, often that's not to like make sure we feel good, more just like convenience. And what can I make in our Airbnb or what's fast to get out on the road? Like pizza we'll get. Now we're definitely not packing our stuff and bringing it from home. It seems like you guys don't really think too much about uh, maybe, tell me if I'm wrong, but like I don't feel like you're intentionally being uh, strict about avoiding fiber the day of the day before the race or anything like that. It seems like the week of the race, you're pretty much eating what you feel like eating, what feels right, what your what your appetite is telling you. Is that right? Yeah, this donut feels right. Meeting, yeah, <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll like make a little bit of an effort the day before the race to cut down on fiber, but not to the point of where I'm just eating plain white rice. All day long. I do I do really strongly believe in like not doing a bunch of new things, different things. You know, it's like we wake up every single day of the year and we go out and train and we're not having severe gut issues most of the time. Like at least in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon, after too many cappuccinos, all you know, all bets are off. But in the morning, like keep it the same. If it's not if you're not having problems in training, why get why get super crazy? Yep. I think especially people are very curious about breakfast the day of the race and yeah. i feel like the best thing you can do is just eat what you always eat right eat that's bef- what you're you before you to go doing. to swimming yeah, yeah. yeah. totally yeah uh, like i like i've said i try to i try to be aware of how much sugar i'm having to try to avoid like a big sugar crash and then i do go for a, a lower fiber cereal like nick before uh cabo you got um raisin bran i would not do that the morning right. of the race 
I go for something a little lower fiber than that. But what did you have before the I'm raisin? I'm not going for zero. That's what I had. I had raisin bread. Oh wow! Okay. So, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that, that's about that's about it. And we've you know we've tested I've, that true just anecdotally through life. A good tip for pre race tempo is, run. I'll I'll usually have a bagel with peanut butter, but if I'm so nervous that I feel ill and I can't eat, just put Nutella on it, and then you're guaranteed to be able to eat it. Oh my god! Because you're saying like it's so good it overcomes any amount of I don't want to eat this. Nutella. It's a similar. It's a similar effect of like the the dessert stomach. Like oh, I'm so full. It's like well, how about ice cream? It's like okay, I have room just but just for a little ice cream. Yeah, exactly. That extra little extra little room there. That that makes me think that. Like I definitely have the stomach issues is way more related to stress. Ah, mm, like I'll I'll have a, like a start having a stomach problem the night before a really big race if I'm really nervous about it, and then in the morning same thing, just like go to the porta potty and it's not great. But that's like I think a stress thing. It's not at all tied to food because I'm eating the same food that I always do. Mm, yeah, and I haven't even started exercising yet. So if you can find a way to cut down, like just be more chill. That could be a factor as well. And how do you guys time it from the gun backwards to your breakfast? Um, so we wake up. We try to wake up about three hours. Sometimes we push to two and a half hours before the race and start eating the meal around then. So, like when we train normally, like I I always make sure that I have an hour and a half from the time that I eat. So like bumping it out to two and a half or three hours, totally safe. Going to the bathroom, possibly even at the hotel before you leave to go to the race. But then. At the very worst, you're like the second you get to the race, you can go to the porta potty and not be stressed about using it right before you're walking up to the start line. Right. And then, like, I'll have like a bottle of water just in hand that I'm kind of sipping on. And then, 15 minutes before the race, I'll do one of the precision, like, 100 milligram caffeine gels. And then you're off and running. Yeah. I was actually like snacking on chews before as I was setting up my bike. Not out of like hunger, just out of like, oh, I might as well get more extra carbs and stuff. Like the gummies taste like candy. Might as well eat a bunch of them. Yeah. That's that's the time. That's the time. Yeah. That's when you can we can use it most. I would say but just because we're all three pretty lucky with our gut, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be careful. I think if you're in a weird country, I know a lot of athletes travel with a rice cooker or just eat what's familiar. Yeah. Um, that's my biggest tip. Don't stress too much about the exact amount of fiber, the exact amount of carbohydrates, all of that. Just try to eat enough and eat familiar. Yeah, I I think like I make a very concerted effort the day before the race to never be hungry. Yeah, I remember you. You've made like, a big point of do that. Do not want to feel hungry before the day. And it's not that's yeah, not about like he gets like, mad if he gets hungry. That's not about like eating a huge breakfast and a huge carbo dinner. It's just like. Throughout the whole day, I'm always having a bar in my pocket, always, you know, just like, okay, what is the next food? Make sure that I'm not ever hungry and sitting in that pre-race meeting, like getting hangry because that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's bad. Cool. Uh, Well, there you go, Thaddeus. Hope that helps. Next question is from Andy. Hi, TTL podcasters. Winter is coming or is already here. What shoes do you wear for chilly bike rides? Any tips to keep your feet warm? Thanks for all you do. Enjoy your well-deserved off season. Andy. Uh, we don't have special cold weather shoes. We don't really ride super far below freezing here in Bend because if it's if it's freezing here, like the the roads will probably be icy or frosty. So, uh, but we have some. I don't know even what they're called. There's some super baller Castelli shoe covers that have like a little bit of a thermal layer and like a wind layer, and then uh, wear shoe like, covers. 
wear like a wool sock. Also, Castelli, they, they've got these nice thick ones. And then we do like a full tight. And I think the, I think like your whole body being warm is also a factor on this. Wearing a good base layer and a good windshield jacket on top and a hat, like everything needs to be warm. Yeah, I've never had like uh, cold feet on the bike. I've that was the really. only thing that was cold today for me. Because you live in California, dude. Well, yeah, but I've <laughs> I've ridden in the cold before, and I, I've not I've never had the issue. But I will say, Jonathan Lee. That's he, what I was gonna say. Oh, you were. You go ahead. That's then. what I was gonna say. Go for it, dude. Uh, Jonathan Lee, a fr- friend of all three of ours, he has Raynaud syndrome, which is your extremities mm. get cold really easily. My dad has that. Yeah, a lot of people have that. I'm sure there will be many people listening to the podcast who have it as well. And so those people really struggle with like numbness, circulation, and temperature regulation of their extremities. And Jonathan Lee found that the thing that completely works for him was getting the like those electric like warmed socks, heated socks, There's a, heated socks. There's a company that makes them, but they cost like seven hundred dollars. No. So what he did is he ordered. Um, a pair off of AliExpress, got them from AliExpress for like whatever, 50 bucks or 30 bucks, and then just uh, like stitched them out of the sock and put them into a nice pair of socks. And it works perfectly for him. He didn't light his feet on fire. No, it did not. He's, he's perfectly fine. I know every time we order something from AliExpress, it's like, all right, well, I hope it gets here and that it doesn't kill me. But, uh, but it, it really works for him. We could, we could put his Instagram or something helpful yeah, in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the description. We'll put it in the show notes. For um, sure. Today I wrote, I was just looking up the jacket I wore today was the fa- my favorite jacket I've ever it's worn. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. It's like a, a hooded cycling jacket. So it has a hood, but it's kind of like puffy, but it's also Gore-Tex. So it has some wind and rain protection. It's, and like, it's, an, it's like an Arc'teryx mid-layer, like light puffy jacket. Yeah, it's called the Fly Thermal Jacket. It's by Castelli. It's new this year. And today was the first day I wore it. There was actually a picture on my Strava of my ride today, which I titled, The Perfect Jacket Does Exist. Wow. And it is this jacket. It's it's so cool. So go and follow me on Strava. And (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Just kidding. Okay, QQ, quick question though. Is it the hood? Does it go under the helmet like a no. cycling cap? Oh, it goes no. over the helmet. Okay. You, I think you could. I think you could. Uh, if you wanted to, you could. I don't know if the hood is fully functional from a cycling perspective, but what I'm thinking is I'll wear this jacket even outside of cycling. Yes. Oh, wow. Like I can, it's, it's very form fitting, but I would wear it for like backcountry skiing, cross country skiing, maybe running on a cold day and, or dog walk, stuff like that where you actually want a hood. The hood just makes it feel so cool because you're like kind of casual, but I'm still wearing cycling guy yeah, stuff. Right. I, I feel like I was telling you about this, Nick, like a while ago. Uh, like all I want to do is just wear like my ski clothing while I'm riding in cold weather because like our uphill ski gear is it's like form fitting a little bit, but it feels light. It doesn't feel like you're in this sausage casing straight jacket situation. And boom, that's what this is. Castelli came out with it. It's amazing. See, love it. That's lovely. Innovation Everyone gets a jacket. Need. Can we Everyone put a, a link to it in the show notes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, link absolutely. that too. <laughs> okay, Jonathan Lee and the jacket. You're getting links. Um, okay, next question here is from Jack. Dear Eric, Paula, Nick, and Flynn, my cadence across swim, bike, and run is very low. 55 to 65 when cycling. Oh boy, oh, that is... Dang. That's like when they tell you to do low cadence work. That's like the zone you want to be in. That is so yeah, really low. low. So, and anyone always comments that I don't look like I'm trying, even when I feel like I'm full on sprinting. 
Do you have any recommendations for increasing my cadence or am I best to just work with my natural cadence? Good luck for my next season and thank you for everything you do for the community. Thanks, Jack. Well, it's a miracle your knees are still attached to your body. That's for yeah, one. Yeah, I would say, yeah. here's my tip. Just increase increase your cadence. <laughs> well, I think Use Jack your is brain probably and tell your legs. <laughs> I'm going to say, forget your front derailleur exists. Just put it in the small ring and do mm-hmm. small ring only rides. Yeah. Now that's interesting. That's an interesting, uh, like, mean, it's, it's like, like under a it. Yeah, just like, mm. I'm going to go ride for 45 minutes or just whatever to give yourself like 30 minutes in a ride and you are only allowed in small ring. My musician advice, which is to find a playlist on Apple Music or Spotify or whatever streaming service you prefer. Uh, and you can type in things like 80 BPM or 85 BPM or 90 BPM. And it's playlists that are made with the express purpose of usually exercise and being able to run or cycle to a specific beat. I love that advice. So that way it feels like a fun game uh, and you're helping out your body. Because yes, you, like doing that low cadence, it's good for you in certain ways, but it's also uh, whew, it's a lot of stress on your, on your legs. It's really muscularly challenging to do low cadence. It might it's a little bit aerobically easier. Yeah. So I would say when you're increasing your cadence initially, it might feel like you're more out of breath and your heart rate's higher, but your muscles are working less hard and under less loads. So ultimately, if you're a triathlete and you're running off the bike, it'll be better. Um, but just you just have to get used to it and don't go from 55 to 90. Start at 65, then try 75. Just like gradually kind of increase it. And something that I really like doing in the off season is picking Zwift workouts, pre-made workouts, like on their recovery folder and stuff like that. There's like cadence drills and it'll actually guide you through a workout where it's actually forcing you to do a certain Watts, but telling you what cadence to do with those Watts. Uh, So it's just taking you through these ranges and you'll find it's kind of interesting. Like It'll tell you to ride at 110 cadence for a minute. And then when you come back down to 90, it feels very doable. Slower. Versus if you yeah. just go up to 90 from what you're used to, it'll feel very fast. So it recalibrates your brain a little bit and it just takes practice. But it's important. It's good, it's good that you noticed it. And I think doing some drills will help you um, bring it up. I'll also say some, when I was trying to up my cadence, because I, I naturally had a slower cadence and kind of still do as well, I think... If like Eric and Paul, I, I don't think are going to love this advice, but it did work for me. On most smartwatch, on most uh, fitness watches, you can set a little cadence beep or vibrate function to go every every other beat or every four steps, and so that way you have this thing that's constantly vibrating, reminding you to run at a certain cadence. No, we talked about this, man. We we specifically talked about this in the swimming episode where we said we were not sure that that was like the best solution for swimming, like the end-all, be-all solution because of slippage in the water. But for biking, this is the closed chain. This is the perfect situation for the BPD. Right, and running. A tempo trainer. Because Jack said said running as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you could use... I am a big fan of the metronome. You might get annoyed, but... Put it on for 30 minutes. Yeah, treat it like yeah. a drill. It's not like the only thing you do. It worked It worked for me. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for your question. Next question is from Angela. Hi, regarding the TTL Devo team, do the 2023 Devo folks still continue to get support from TTL or does a 2024 group take over the support and current year becomes alumni? Just curious on how it works. Love the concept and love to support. Angela. Thanks for being a supporter, Angela. Um. This uh, we've had a lot of discussion about this actually, um, because dream scenario we would love to support everybody all the time forever. 
Uh, but the budget that we put together, thanks to the sales of the kits, uh, of the TTL Nation kits that go into the Devo team, like so far, and you know what we experienced this year is there's really only enough money for us to support six, possibly eight athletes. We stretched it this year beyond what we thought we were going to. So we've we've discussed like what are ways that we could continue to offer value to the alumni to use to use that word, and I think we will want to always be there in a consulting role and hopefully be able to connect them when the opportunity arises or put in a good word if they're trying to apply to a sponsorship. Um, but like we're unfortunately we're just not financially in the position where we can have twenty athletes Keep paying them. So yeah, yeah, I think like it, as it as mentors and as friends. We want to continue that relationship, but in terms of continuing to quote unquote sponsor them with dollars, that's something we want to offer to a new group of athletes. And we we thought about maybe continuing to offer them race kits if they still want to race in a TTL kit. Yep. Which is supported by Castelli. Yep. Um, but our goal and dream of all this was that these athletes would get their own sponsors after getting a little more exposure through the TTL channels. Yeah. So I think that's happened a little bit, but it's hard to do in a year. It's, so. it's, it's very hard. Yeah. If we could do like a three year deal, <laughs> that, that would be awesome. And, and we have discussed keeping on like one or two athletes, um, you know, as a, as a carryover, but I think what well, we will just go through the process of having everybody apply. And if we really truly feel like someone from this year is still the best possible fit in the, like a place that we feel like what we have to offer will legitimately help somebody make it to the next level, then like, then that's a conversation we'll have. I, I guess we shouldn't say that just being a member of the Devo, Devo team last year disqualifies you from this year. Yeah. They'd have to just apply again and we'll see. The, the thing that I want to stress is that the financial support is only a part of the whole thing, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, it's a small part. And you guys are kind of trying to guide and help and mentor these athletes yeah. anyway. And, and that doesn't have to stop. Yeah. And I love the idea personally, if, you know, if someone wants to keep racing in the TTL kit, that's, I feel like, I feel like that's a pretty fun idea. That's like a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it would be cool if, you know, we can through Castelli get them a free kit that's maybe customized their, their specific kit to them. And we just keep a TTL logo on there. That would be awesome. So Yeah. Cool. Next question here is from Karen. Hello to my three favorite podcasters. I have a question about the Zwift rides you host. Y'all talk about how Nick is slower than you pros. <laughs> I started endurance sports at the age of 52 with running and later biking and swimming. I'm so much nice. slower than Nick. Oh, so you're the one. Uh, we aren't even comparable. <laughs> I'm hesitant to join a group ride because I imagine I'll be the last one by miles. I've heard there's a setting for Zwift group rides where anyone ends up staying together, even if they are wildly different in watts. If that's a possibility, just wondering if you use that setting when you set things up with the group rides. If not, can you give an estimate of the watt range typically present? I love the synergy the three of you have on the pod and look forward to a new one every Thursday. Keep up the great work, Karen. Yeah, this is a... Great question. It's a really good question. And it's a little bit of a frustration with the group rides on our end with Zwift because to do an easy coffee ride like the ones we do... There's no elastic band that's keeping everyone together. So you ride your watts, the group splits up. The plus side is you can still look at the chat and like participate in the discussion throughout the whole ride, even if you're not with the main group. So the nature is like maybe 15 people will be up the road and then there'll be a group of five and then two and then another five and Eric will be the sweeper. 
So it breaks up, which is not as fun. The way to keep it elastic banded together is to create a workout. So there are actually intervals. Everyone's doing watts per kilo. This is what Lionel did for his group ride a week ah, ago. I see. And everyone is staying together the whole time. So the downside of that is then you're doing a hard workout. And in our from our perspective, it's harder to do the conversational type of thing where we want to chat with you guys the whole time if you're doing threshold intervals. Yeah, because so. we're sitting there on the TT bikes or sitting upright on our road bikes the entire time. Typing. Answering questions, hanging out, chatting, yeah, yeah. whatever. So it's tough to figure it out. When we haven't even tried doing a workout yet, but we do want to explore that option maybe, and it'll be like chatting on the recoveries, chatting during the cool down, stuff like that. Well, okay, how about this potential? And I don't know Zwift that well because I, I've only used it mostly on you're these not group there rides. for the group rides ever. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, but can you not just make the workout? Is The problem is that the workout is not based on the proportional to the individual's fitness. It's uh, empirical. So it's like 150 watts. And no, everyone's no, it doing is a percentage. It? No, it's okay. like, a, it's like a watt per kilo. Yeah. yeah. So could you do... A, a workout, quote unquote, but really it's That's like at 50% of FTP. Yes. So here's the thing. We've been doing this for a very long, we've been doing this for a long time since before that functionality existed. And it's like, it's not easy. It's not like when you just like go into the app on your phone and just like write it out. Like we have to email Zwift and tell them what we want to do. Oh, and they have to like kind of program. Oh, they build the workout? It's, it's like, it's, I thought there was some pre-built workouts you could do. Oh, so you just select a brief. Yeah. So then that answers your oh, question, that, Nick, of right. like, we can't just pick the workout to be workout. right at one watt per kilo for 40 minutes. Yeah. We would Got want to it. customize it to be like low grade. What we could do though is like artificially deflate our FTPs massively. So that yeah. like says we're going hard, but we're not. I don't know. It just feels fake to do it like we've that. Had mo- we've had multiple phone calls with Swift about this because we have one of the biggest Swift clubs there is and like we really really want to engage and and do as many Zwift rides as possible and keep the group together so we've been given a lot of feedback and we're working towards exactly what you're hoping for but let's let's give Karen some peace of mind how many people usually show up to these rides we'll say a hundred average a hundred so that 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 means that there's a pretty good chance there's at least a few people that are going to be riding at your level right yeah exactly and on top of that, what would you think, you know, for these, it's usually 30 minutes. Is that right? Yep. So we'll, we'll like ride for 10 minutes beforehand and then we'll ride a little bit afterwards as well. What are the ranges of wattages, average wattages for the rides? All over. But, but Paula and I are never pushing the the pace. There's, you know, some people at the front of the group, they're like, want to ride. I don't even, I don't even know. Um, I usually average like 170. How much watts per kilo is that? I don't know. That's the thing. I don't. We don't really speak in watts per kilo. Yeah, that much. I don't either. But one seventy. And are you towards the back, towards the front? So like when I'm riding like two hundred watts for me, which is just like aerobic. Like I usually end up in the middle of the group. Like I'm one minute behind Paula. It always seems to be the ride leader for whatever reason. I never get to be the ride leader. And then there's people that are like. <laughs> A, two, a minute or two minutes behind me, but there, I don't ever see when I'm like riding along and kind of like I'll catch some people or or whatever through the middle of the thing. It's usually people are grouped up in like twos, so it doesn't. Yeah, I'll always be with another TTL person. But, but the thing is, is like you definitely want to download the Zwift Companion app because then you've just got the chat right there on your phone the whole time. So regardless of who you're sitting next to, you can see what Paul and I are saying. You can see what questions people are asking or what they're talking about. You know, going to Ironman Canada, whatever it is, and it's it's fun. Yeah. 
that's I think that's the main point here is that uh, Karen, don't be mistaken. It's not like there's a group that Eric and Paul is in that 100% of the people on the ride are on. It's not what happens at all. It does it does kind of split up a bit, but the chat is there yep. to make yep. it feel like you're still together. Yeah, choose your own pace. And if you finish the ride, you get you unlock the TTL jersey. Which is the coolest jersey on then the Then you got to go into your closet <laughs> and it'll be there so you could ride it in Zwift anytime. Love it. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Okay, so that's a, that's it. Those are our questions. But I did want to, last week, I, every once in a while, I like to play with this feature on the Spotify podcasts, uh, behind the scenes app. I can put in a, a poll. And last week we were talking about Cabo, of course, and the uh, Los Cabos and the heat. And so I had a poll that was, would you rather race in the heat or the cold? We had hundreds of answers. And I want you guys to guess what the split was. So that was it. That, that was the exact wording. Would you yep. rather race in the heat I or said, the cold? I said, would you rather race in the heat or the cold? Question mark. And one answer was heat and the other answer was cold. I'm going to guess heat was 90% ten? and cold was 10. Yeah, probably. Okay. Eric, you too? Maybe not that steep, but probably more more heat. Wow, this is interesting. Maybe because people were so scared off by how how I was too hot. Cold got 54.2% and heat no got 45.8%. I, I think if we'd asked if we'd asked this after St. George last year, <laughs> might or, have been different. Or Wisconsin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I I would uh, always rather race in the cold. It's it's logistically challenging on the day. Right. But it doesn't require any prep for that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you like race if you're fast. heading to a hot race and you can go fast. Like today fast. on our gravel yeah. ride, it was cold and we were wearing winter gear and I felt so good because you just, you're cooling yourself at all times. There's no metabolic heat like building up in your muscles and stuff. It's none of the sluggish. Uh, yeah. Do you know what the ideal marathon running temperature is? It's like 12 Celsius. Yeah, or something. I was going to say like 41 Fahrenheit. People think it's like, oh, it's probably like 60 or 70. It's like, nope, you no. are giving up performance any, any degree yeah. above that. Yeah, I remember the sub two. They were trying to pick the perfect location at the perfect time of year where it would be um, ideal to set the sub two hour. And I, I think mm-hmm. it was around 10 or 11 degrees. Yeah. Oh, this Just is really interesting. Chilly. So for the top 1% of runners, ideal running temperature for men is 38.9 degrees. Which is just can you translate that to Celsius? Because you're for running me? so hot. That's gonna be like three. It's three point three point eight one degrees Celsius. Wow, that's really um, cold. and then for the for the median, it's forty three point two. It's still in the forties. I mean, that's quite cold. So basically, I nailed it. Yeah, yeah, you guys, it's different running versus swimming of in the course. wet and, and getting and on a bicycle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the yeah. transition that sucks. Like we all know that by the time you get on the bike at ten a.m. off the bike. It doesn't matter what the temperature is. Right. It's going to be fine. Yeah. It's the cycling where you lose feeling in your fingers. And oh, your, in terms yeah. of coldness. Yeah. You can't open yeah. up your gels because you can't feel your fingers. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, like for man. triathlon, I'd say that number bumps up. To oh, like it definitely bumps up for triathlon. <laughs> so, like, the logical thing to do here is to reverse the order of the event. You run first in the morning it's when it's always cold. Always the opposite. You bike, and then when it's hot out, you're swimming, and you want to be in the water anyway. No, I must you're say— You're welcome, triathlon I world. must say, triathlon is the perfect order. It would be terrible in any other order. Of course. Put this on the poll this week, Nick. Okay. Would you rather do swim, bike, run, run, bike, swim? I don't know. Just put that's a couple gonna, options. That's going to be a freaking landslide. I'll do every permutation. But by the way, 
Eric, you can have your cake and eat it too if we just start the triathlon later in the day. So it's hot for the swim, it's getting cooler for the bike, and then it's nice and cool for the run. And you don't have to wake up at the crack of 4 a.m. to do it. Oh, if it's an evening race. Yeah, you start at like yeah. 4 p.m. Problem is, the problem is people take like, some people take like four and a half hours to do an Olympic and that kind of, you know, or a 70.3 even more so. So you run out of, like, it becomes dangerous because people are riding in the dark. Well, that's why you just got to do it on a raceway like Daytona. That's right. Yeah, we raced in the that's evening cool. in Daytona in 2020, 2019. We were running in the dark. That I remember really cool. that. And yeah. that was photogenic as heck. Oh, yeah. Because they got the floodlights. So you're actually yeah. like not dark, dark, but it's very dark. Yeah, it was yeah. Cool. Our, our winter collection is com- is coming very soon. It could actually be coming right around the day that this podcast drops. We're kind of waiting on the last couple of pieces to show up at our warehouse. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. And like Nick said, uh, selling those t-shirts and stuff is a big part of why we're able to keep TTL going. And uh, we really appreciate it and absolutely love seeing that stuff out in the wild at races. So and all the, stuff, all the stuff in this particular collection, we picked the Pantone color of the thread. We got a really cool new graphic uh, made by our friend Christian. He's an actual, he's an actual uh, teacher of graphic design. So they're a little bit unique, wow. and we did put a lot of thought and time into them. We designed them like in the summer, so yeah, yeah, awesome. they're gonna be sweet. Can't wait to I'm see stoked. It. Get them before they're gone. That's it. Thank you so much for submitting your questions and giving us something to talk about, and uh, just all the love. Really yeah. appreciate it. Keep the questions coming. Usually when I give a reminder, we get a little influx. So yeah, nice. Please do that. Don't be shy. <laughs> Don't be shy. Right. We love them. Have a good week and we'll talk to you next week. Later. Bye.